Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to the How To Academy podcast, the bi-weekly show from London's home of big thinking. I'm Vas Christodoulou. Sarah Knight made her name as the author of the sensational anti-self-help book The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving an F asterisk asterisk K, and she's sold more than 3 million copies of that book and others in the series. Her latest is called Grow the F asterisk asterisk K Up, How to Be an Adult and Get Treated Like One. We hosted her in conversation with Hannah McInnes. You can expect bad, bad language and great advice. question I think I want to ask and I'm sure many people want to know is who is it for who are you telling to to grow the fuck up is this everyone anyone of any age or do you have a specific reader in mind well the specific reader I have in mind is the person who needs to grow the fuck up and they can be any age any any chance that they have to, um, you know, on their adulting journey, pick up a little bit of extra wisdom from me. I'm happy to welcome them into the fold. It started out as me wanting to write a book for a slightly younger audience because I got somewhat popular with the youth uh, when TikTok kind of exploded and they found some of my older books, started getting a lot of messages from kids in their late teens, you know, early 20s. Just for context, I'm 44, so I'm allowed to call them kids. But then once I started writing the book and uh, and sharing pieces of it with my editors, we realized that, frankly, there are quite a lot of people around us day to day who need to grow the fuck up and they are not limited to the under 21 set. So the book turned out to be a much more universal blueprint for successful adulting. Can I just ask about something, uh, pick up on something you just mentioned, you got quite popular amongst the kids, you said. What do you, just before we come back to this particular book, I wonder what you put the great success, your great success of these guides down to? I think that really, at the end of the day, it's just a sense of authenticity. I refer to my whole series of books as advice for people who hate being told what to do. (laughs) And it couldn't be more true of myself. And I feel like what I'm putting out into the world is the kind of advice and the kind of strategies that maybe your loved ones aren't giving you because they're trying to be a little bit nicer and a little bit more comforting. And, you know, their job is not to be sort of blunt and no nonsense with you. So I'm bridging the gap between advice that, you know, is actually good (laughs) and that it's maybe a little bit easier to take from someone who doesn't have a vested interest in maintaining a a really good relationship with you. Yes. And that also isn't, I suppose, what we might 
think of as self-help. But I mean, Vogue on the front is uh, the quote says self-help with an edge. You know, and, and you call yourself the, the anti-guru or you, you've been given this name, the anti-guru. So is this sort of anti-self-help? What kind of self-help is this? So it was the Observer magazine that gave me the nickname, the anti-guru, and it stuck because I think it absolutely encapsulates who I am and what I do in the sense that it's not your traditional self-help. You know, I came in on the very front end of that sweary self-help trend that was started by Jen Sincero uh, with You Are a Badass. And, And I think that, you know, it's fun. It's liberating. It's a little naughty. People are more likely to be drawn to it who didn't think that they needed self-help or self-improvement or personal development books or whatever you want to call them. I certainly never thought that I needed those. And I was a book editor for 15 years with major New York City publishing houses. And I definitely was suspicious of of the genre as a whole. You know, I thought, oh, it's a little woo-woo. It might be a little exploitative. But when I wrote my first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, which, by the way, was intended as a humorous parody of that famous Japanese decluttering Bible. Uh, and it turned out to actually be a very practical self-help book in and, in and of itself. You know, that was the way the door opened for me to say, you know what? I think I have a lot of really good advice to give and really good life hacks to put out there and an attitude that apparently is, you know, of interest to people. So maybe I could keep doing this not as a parody of anybody else's work, but just as my own kind of no-nonsense life advice. I love that you've just said Jen Sincero, who we've had actually lucky enough, we've been lucky enough to interview her. And also we've been lucky enough to interview the book that you just mentioned that was a parody um, of, uh, of course, the Japanese sort of declutter your life. We, we say um, they called you a, a, an anti-guru. You say at the start in this book, you, you, you know, one of the chapter headings or subtitles is, oh, yeah, you're not my mum. So why should we listen to you, essentially? So I'm just wondering, you know, why, why should we? Well, I also in this book, I have coined myself an auntie guru. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started writing Grow the Fuck Up, actually, it was mid lockdown. You know, my brother and his wife had just decided that they were going to go ahead and have a baby. And uh, I became a first time aunt. And I thought, you know, I'm, and I don't have children myself. So I thought, I have all of this all of this wisdom to share with my my soon-to-be newborn nephew. And, uh, you know, and you're not really supposed to give other parents parenting advice, and you're not really supposed to give their kids your advice. You know, they frown on that, at least in my experience. Uh, but what if I put it all into a book that anyone could just decide to read? It's their choice to pick it up and run with it. So it's a little bit anti-guru and it's a little bit anti-guru, uh, this one. And I feel like, you know, you're getting the same kind of real life, unfiltered, a little bit more fun, a little bit more zesty kind of straight talk that I personally got from all of the fantastic aunts that I had in my life growing up. So it's, I feel like I'm coming full circle on this one. So you, you described, there's a lot of things like the GTFU MO, which you referenced quite a bit. Perhaps you could um, explain what is that? So the GTFU MO, the grow the fuck up modus operandi, is there are three pillars. It's maturity, responsibility, and accountability. And that's how the book is broken up into those three parts. And I basically narrowed in on those three pillars because I I started off like I do with all of my books, I conducted an anonymous survey just over Google, put out the link, had hundreds and hundreds of people responding 
And I ask them questions about, you know, what do you think it means to be an adult? What do you wish you were doing better as an adult? You know, if you have kids, what are the most important things you'd like to convey to them and teach them? If you don't have kids, what do you wish other people were teaching their kids? And just all kinds of questions like that. And I took all of these responses and collated them along with the things that I felt I wanted to get across. Because in my experience of writing all of the other books where I've discussed, you know, organization and goal setting and motivation and problem solving and anxiety management and confidence, I thought, you know, there's a lot in the previous No Fucks Given Guides that to me, I sure wish I knew a lot sooner than I figured it out and put it into book form. So I put all of that stuff together and it really, I really felt like these three pillars were rising to the top and maturity are things that are much more behavior oriented, self-awareness, self-control, responsibility is more action oriented. It's taking initiative and being independent and being dependable. And then uh, accountability kind of encapsulates both behavior and action because taking accountability that's adult as fuck. That is the thing that we all need to be able to go across the finish line with. And it's the thing I've had the hardest time with in my own life. And I'm very honest and candid in the book about, you know, where I have struggled to take criticism well, to admit that I'm wrong, to apologize, you know. So this is the the kind of triumvirate, the GTFU MO. And I feel, again, before we go on, I should ask you to outline your spectrum of adulting, which all the way through you reference. And I expect you will you know, wish to reference as we talk. So um, t- tell us about perhaps lay, lay that out. It starts with real actual ch- babies and then y- you take it on. Sure. So I, I have sort of a taxonomy uh, and the evolution of adulting is actual baby, big fucking baby, theoretical grown up and total fucking grown up. And through the course of the book, I I continue to refer back to the fact that an actual baby can't be mature, can't be responsible, can't be accountable because they know nothing. They don't have the ability to communicate their wants and needs. They don't have the ability to cope with not getting what they want. They are actual babies and therefore they get away with bad behavior and people still think that they're adorable and take pictures of them with spaghetti sauce all over their faces and think it's just the highlight of their lives. At least that's (laughs) what my mother does with my nephew. Then you have big fucking babies. I refer to these as the BFBs. These are people who have had all the time in the world to learn what the right way is to do things and how to be responsible and how to act mature and be accountable. And they just won't. They don't want to try. They don't care to. They're, according to the people that I surveyed, the qualities of big fucking babies, among other things, they're rude, they're lazy, they're unreliable, you know, they lack self-control. Uh, and, you know, that that's a big problem. And I'm sure we all have a number of big fucking babies in our lives. But we also all probably have some qualities from that list that I just gave and that is reprinted in the book where we can read down the list and think, yeah, those big fucking babies, oh, uh-oh, oh, that's me. Oh, I do that. And when you're a theoretical adult, you know, you're out there, you want to do right, you have the skills, you have the opportunity to do so, but sometimes you just can't put it all together. And sometimes you're acting like a big fucking baby. So the idea behind Grow the Fuck Up is to give you all those tools, all those strategies, and all those tips to go from a theoretical adult with big fucking baby tendencies to a total fucking grown-up. And the the motivation that I'm trying to get across is that your life is better when you act like a total fucking grown-up 
because other people will treat you like a grown up. You will get more respect. You will get more autonomy. You will have more freedom. People will trust you because you're the opposite of all those qualities of big fucking babies. You are reliable. You are independent. You can't, you do practice great self-control. You are very self-aware. You're polite and you know how to take accountability for your actions and behavior. I mean, my worry is that the big fucking babies who need to read this book, they aren't very aware of what they are. And so they and they won't. And so if if the overall view at the end is that you can, as you say, sort of retire and know that these great grown ups are going to take over the world. It's the babies that you describe who need to pay attention and probably have no idea that their behavior is offending everybody so greatly. What I'm hoping is that the book is going to reach a wide a generational demographic, and then it's going to capture some of those young people out there who haven't had a chance yet to go big fucking baby. You know, they're they're still learning. They're, there's a lot of life experience yet to come, but I'm going to come in there with the tools and the strategies that they need early enough that they can go straight to theoretical adulthood and up into that total fucking grown up zone. <laughs> uh, the the true big fucking babies who definitely aren't going to pick up the book, that's fine, but it makes a great gift. For the big fucking baby in your life—that's true. <laughs> um, and and I, I just can I, I sneak in that all the way through you have these um, pro adult tips, all of which I love and must make sure I write down. And um, I'm just going to have to say because I just think it was such a brilliant one. Aprons, and I have neglected this, and as a result, I'm certainly a baby who has just permanently oil-covered clothes and always want to cry about it. So perhaps you could um, give us your pro-adult tip, which I'll just sneak into this part of the interview. I, yeah, they're sprinkled throughout the book. And I have to say, you know, is it a coincidence that apron and adult both begin with letter A and have five letters? Maybe. Is it a sign from the universe that you should be acquiring yourself a cooking cover-up that will save you countless hundreds of dollars in dry cleaning bills and probably a few favorite shirts lost to oil stains. It certainly is. Get yourself an apron. Yeah. So many tips like that in the book, which are <laughs> unbelievably helpful. We don't have time to talk about them all. You were saying that um, one of the things you really uh, want to emphasize that people should take away from the book is that there is so much in this for you. There's so much personal, I guess, selfish gain in in, in being a grown up. And, and you described the kind of the R and R, the sort of rest and relief that you get from it. Yeah, you know, there's reward, a chapter- Reward and relief, yeah. Reward and relief. There's a chapter called, uh, but I don't wanna. Yeah. And in it, I try to explain, this is at the end of part one, I try to explain what, you're, what you stand to gain out of reading this book. Because a lot of times people look at adulting, you know, it used to kind of convey- Fun stuff like picking out paint colors and learning how to use collar stays and going to the farmer's market and this was adulting. And now, you know, the world is bigger and more chaotic and it's, there's more pressure. And people sort of look at adulting as this overwhelming thing, you know, annoying, not not pleasurable. Uh, and I'm trying to make it fun and make it accessible. So I, I address, uh, I think there's another chapter called Finish Your Chores and You Can Go Play. Mm -hmm. And this is where the concept of R&R &R comes in, the reward and the relief. Because when you do finish your chores, do those adulting tasks that you might not want to do or that are kind of annoying, but that you have to do because 
nobody is legally or morally responsible for doing them for you anymore. That's really what it means to be an adult is that you are responsible for yourself. Hopefully you have a great community around you. Hopefully you have family and friends and colleagues who can support you, but it's not their job to, and it's not their responsibility to anymore. So if you can look at these adulting tasks in terms of the reward that they bring to you, and a quick example is, you know, if you are self-sufficient enough and responsible enough to go out there and hold down a job and draw your own paycheck, then you get to spend it on whatever you want, which means that if you're self-sufficient and responsible enough to go grocery shopping for yourself, you can cook whatever you want for dinner. You know, you no longer have to be beholden to other people's choices for you. And that goes everywhere from parents who may or may not have been holding the purse strings or planning the meals to, you know, roommates or friends who are frankly much better organized than you and always get to choose the vacation spots because they're the ones that are organizing them. If you can take on that responsibility, and you can be mature and do these things for yourself, then the world is your oyster. You get to do whatever you want. You're the adult now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And tell us about um, exactly it, and that you know gives you a sort of great independence. And in a moment, we'll come on to another really interesting part of the book where you talk about being dependable, which I, I think is just such great advice. But before then, perhaps I might ask you about ABC, which you flip at the end, but we'll do it the right way around as you begin with. Yes. If you take nothing away from this book, take away the notion that being an adult is as easy as learning your ABCs. Your actions and behavior have consequences. This is very important. And it's the kind of thing that we all internalized in our youth. You know, you knew what the consequences would be if you skipped school. You knew what the consequences would be if you didn't study for a test. You would probably fail it. You knew that if you talked back to your mother or you came in late from curfew, you might get grounded. So there's no reason at all why we shouldn't be able to pull what we know in our hearts and minds about the concept of consequences into our adult lives. But what I find in my own life, in talking to my readers worldwide, I mean, I'm getting I'm getting messages every day, DMs emails from people, what I hear is people making decisions in a reactive manner, just not thinking it through, not taking 30 seconds, two minutes, half an hour, a weekend to think through to the likely consequences of their actions and behavior and and pause. And this is a two-step method I have in the book, anticipate and orchestrate. Think about those likely consequences and then act and behave in a way that orchestrates for you the best possible outcome or the least bad outcome. You know, this is about mitigating as much as it is about creating great opportunities and great outcomes for yourself. So remember your ABCs, your actions and behavior have consequences. Learn it, live it. You you, you say um, that there's this chapter you just mentioned, which is about doing the stuff, you know, I don't want to, the stuff you don't want to, but still have to do, you say. 
And one of the ways in which you advocate that that we do that is by forming habits and incentives and developing a better approach and attitude to these things that we don't necessarily want to do. And you do have some really valuable advice about just habit forming. I wonder if you could impart some of that wisdom now about the sorts of habits you're advocating and how to form them. In fact, you say your editor would say at this point, but how do you form a habit? And then some great advice on that. Well, yes. And shout out to my to my editors, Mike and Jane, because they definitely do save me from myself whenever I say, <laughs> you just have to form a habit. They say, Sarah, your readers might not know how. Uh, in that section, habits and incentives are my two sort of uh, all-purpose tips for making adulting easier and more pleasant. Habits help you solve for X. They help you optimize. They help make sucky things suck less. So if you can just get into the habit of doing something, just like you got into the habit of brushing your teeth or making your bed or whatever annoying sucky thing your parents made you do when you were growing up, it just becomes something that's a natural part of your day and it doesn't have to feel so burdensome anymore. And this is what, when I talk about how to form a habit, you have to identify the problem. So say you're somebody who just can never keep track of your keys, your phone, your wallet, you know, it's falling out of the the backseat of the taxi. It's left in the bleachers at a football game. You identify the problem. I am always losing my stuff. You implement a solution. So maybe that habit is I put everything on a table right next to the front door of my apartment. That's where it gets kept. Maybe the solution is it all goes into the same pocket of my purse or my pants when I go out. Maybe the solution is every time I get out of a taxi cab, I stop, feel around, make sure I have my stuff in my pockets and go. And step three is just repeat step two until it's no longer step two. It's just a thing you do. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of experts on behavior who will tell you, you know, sometimes they say it takes 21 days to form a habit. Sometimes they say it takes up to two years. I think you're probably somewhere in the middle on that. But the idea is if there's something that you need to solve, you know, identify the problem, implement a solution, and then repeat that solution until it's just a thing you do. And this has become, you know, extraordinarily useful to me in my adult life in everything from, you know, as kind of serious as, a habit is to check your bank balance periodically, you know, check it once or twice a week just so that you can tell if you're starting to get a little bit close to overdrawn, you know, especially the first 25 to 30 years of my life. I definitely had to worry a lot more about where the levels were on my bank account. But another habit is that we make the coffee at night now because I am an absolute disaster first thing in the morning. And I'm always the first one up. My husband sleeps late and I, I'm nothing without caffeine, and I certainly can't make the coffee without having had some coffee. I'll spill the coffee grounds all over the place. So, you know, a few times of having that sort of chaotic morning, especially before doing an event like this, um, and I started this habit. We make the coffee at night, and it's just solves for X. The flip side, and I'll be quick on this because I know you have a lot of other great questions, is incentives. And this is how you yeah. make adulting more pleasant for yourself because like I've been saying this whole time, you're the adult now. So instead of waiting around for your dentist to give you a gross sugar-free lollipop at the end of your visit to incentivize you to come back to the dentist, that's what my dentist did. I don't know if this is a thing in the UK. You can promise yourself something way better after you complete a really annoying adult task. You know, you can say, all right, I've gone to renew my passport and I've stood in line at the embassy or wherever you go to do that. And it's going to be three hours out of my day in a dreary place. And I'm, you know, I'm not happy about being there. The picture's going to be terrible. But afterwards, 
I'm going to go out and treat myself to a, you know, a fancy cocktail because I'm an adult and I can do whatever I want. So Mm -hmm. I find incentivizing to be really, really helpful. And it's something I did in my career as a book editor. I would say, you know, if I complete five edits, I get a gift, you know, to myself, I get a massage. If I can do 15, I get a a nicer gift. Um, And these things don't have to cost money either. You know, incentives can just be, I'm going to close the laptop and binge on Netflix tonight because I did the annoying adult thing that I wasn't looking forward to, but by gosh, I did it. Yeah. And the important thing is because without thinking about it, I think we give ourselves rewards. But what I was thinking reading this, because there's a moment where you say, okay, write it down. This is what I'm going to do. And this is, you know, my reward. I think that is important, isn't it? Just being a bit more calculated about it, actually sort of identifying it as an incentive rather than just do you, do you know what I mean? Otherwise, it's a bit subconscious that we let ourselves perhaps do something after we've, you know, we've done something that was difficult. I, I think where it becomes more rewarding is when you've, you know, physically written it down or said it to yourself. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I mean, some parents might call it bribing and maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that with the children of my my fr- my parent friends. But, um, you know, if you say, like, I am going to get this if I do that, it's a it's a powerful motivator. And, um, you know, in putting something in your calendar, I read a, a great book many years ago called Happy Money. And one of the tips I took away from it was that booking a vacation gives you almost as much pleasure as the vacation itself because you have all this time to look forward to the thing that you've already put your money toward. So you're getting pleasure out of the anticipation of the event and you've already paid for it. And once you're on the vacation, it's even better. And I think that incentivizing in a in a broad way is much like that. You know, you've given yourself something to look forward to and you've given yourself, you know, a reason, a reason to get there. And so it's, I think, a very, a very all-purpose tool to just, like I said, make make that annoying adult stuff more pleasant for you. And there's a lot in the book about polite, being polite um, and extra impressive and equally easy ways to be polite that you, you talk about. Um, in fact, what the golden rule is a rule people might know from, from the Bible. They certainly might. Uh, and they might be surprised that I, a woman who has made a career out of sweary self-help books, know that rule. Uh, but I did take a class on the Bible in college. So there you go. Um, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And honesty and politeness have always been the two stalwart pillars of my no fucks given ethos. From the very first book until this very most recent book, I am a stickler for being honest and polite. It's just honesty is a more efficient way to go about your life in addition to being a morally and ethically superior way to go about your life. If you are honest with people about what you want and need, you're more likely to get what you want and need. It's just not that complicated. But you also need to be polite about it. Sometimes you need to soft pedal your honesty. You know, being completely honest is sometimes rude, depending on the thing that you're being honest about. And so in the chapter uh, or in the section of the book on on maturity, I really go hard on honesty and self-awareness and then, you know, politeness. And I think you can say, and I, I've said it, I've said it in print, and I'll say it right here. I don't really give a fuck whether people like me. You know, I've gotten to a point in my life where I know who I am. I say what I say. I believe what I believe. And if somebody doesn't like me, it doesn't bother me. It's no skin off my teeth. However, I do understand the value of people liking me. And as you said earlier, I spend a lot of time in Grow the Fuck Up trying to explain to you just how good it is for you to approach adulting 
in this proactive way. Because if you are the most polite person in any group of people, you are likely to be the most well-liked. And moreover, you're likely to become the most well-respected. And when people like and respect you, they do things for you. They do you favors. They invite you to fancy events as their plus one because they know you can be trusted in, you know, in mixed company. Airline flight attendants are more likely to move you up into a better seat or to offer you a a gin and tonic, hold the tonic, than they are somebody who has been rude and disrespectful um, and, you know, and a big fucking baby. So mm. there's there's a lot to be said for just being honest and polite to very simple, common sense uh, ways of being that can actually gain you so much from, you know, from day-to-day kind of gifts and bonuses to overall reputational credit. And how do you get that balance right and deal with this in an adult way between being very polite and not being, I suppose, a pushover. I mean, because I think there's a really careful line to tread between being polite and and doing, you know, um, as people would hope of you or trying to please people. And then also there's something in certain scenarios more grown up about knowing your boundaries and saying no and perhaps coming across as a bit impolite or ruffling some feathers. Well, as luck would have it, my previous book was all about setting boundaries and saying no. It was in fact called Fuck No, How to Stop Saying Yes When You Can't, You Shouldn't, or You Just Don't Want To. Uh, And I'm a really big advocate for that as well. And I think what's important to note about Grow the Fuck Up, particularly in the Mind Your Manners chapter, is that these are things that I'm suggesting, ways to be polite beyond saying please, thank you, and you're welcome, that are all about working into your daily life, not being a pushover, not being... Uh, obsequious, but being someone who's capable of being diplomatic, you know, of not saying, not saying the bad part out loud, you know, instead of, and I have sort of columns and tables where I'm like, instead of saying this, you could say this, um, being complimentary, just being quick with a, with a compliment, whether it's, you know, this is the best homemade lasagna I've ever had, or, Hey, great job on that presentation today. Because the more often that you're capable of just, you know, lobbing a a deserved compliment out into the world, the more people are going to feel kindly toward you. And next time you need help with the PowerPoint presentation, your colleague who you gave a genuine compliment to on their skills is probably more likely to help you out. So it's not so much about being nice to the point of doing what anybody asks you to do so as not to ruffle their feathers or taking on too much. In fact, I have a a big section toward the, the back of the book and responsibility about not overcommitting and setting expectations and managing expectations so that you can become dependable. But really it's about, you know, when I say mind your manners, I'm saying be quiet. You know, when in doubt, listen. Listen attentively. Don't interrupt people when they're speaking. Don't answer your phone in the middle of a meeting or dinner for that matter. And again, these are kind of, I believe, commonsensical ways of being that when people read my books, they think, oh yeah, like she's making a lot of sense. This isn't hard. Um, This is pretty simple stuff, but sometimes it takes a lady who, you know, says fuck 10 times on every page and who isn't actually your mother (laughs) to, to be able to get through, get through to you with it. Yeah. It's really interesting. And again, that, that balance is something I was interested to ask you about too, which is, you know, you say, and it's, brilliant advice sort of listen stay quiet hold your tongue you know if you're just just be be polite be considerate 
when you might want to say something kind of ruder or your instinct is to say something unnecessary. But also um, in a previous chapter, you know, you talk about that honesty and the importance of saying exactly what you feel. So again, I'm so interested to hear that balance and how you get that right to be a total grown up. (laughs) Well, it's uh, you have to be able to be self-aware. And I I start off the book talking about not just being honest, uh, you know, honest with your mom about, did you eat that pie that I left out on the counter or honest with your partner about why you've been so distant lately? You can't have those kinds of honest interactions with other people until you are honest with yourself. You have to be able to say, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling that way? What am I going to do about it? How can I get from point A to point B and express and communicate to other people what I want and what I need and what I feel I deserve? And you can't do that if you can't ask these questions honestly of yourself and then answer them. Where politeness comes into the mix is when you are then communicating those wants and needs to other people. And that's something that I talk about in the chapter on on self-control and about how I have the three C's. I call them critical thinking, which is asking yourself these questions, answering them honestly, communication, expressing the answers to those questions to other people, asking for what you want, pushing back on what you don't want, and then coping, which is if you don't get what you want, you don't get what you need or whatever you're asking for doesn't go over very well, how do you deal with it? How do you not throw a tantrum and in fact, summon all of your adult qualities and make sure that you can move forward and still try to get you know, a simulacrum of what you want or take a different tactic and not burn bridges while you're at it. So the Venn diagram between honesty and politeness is really self-awareness and self-control. And it's understanding what exactly what you you need and then expressing it in a way that is not going to alienate the person that you need it from. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Amazingly, the time always disappears. There's so much to ask you, but I'm going to pick up on something you just mentioned because I found it really interesting about being dependable and um, such good advice, which I will certainly try to take on in, in my life, was about don't set people up for disappointment. Don't overcommit. Um, and, and it's sort of just about being realistic with yourself and with others. I wonder if you could just explain that and, uh, and how that helps you be more dependable. Because many of us think, oh, we must, you know, well, we overpromise and then we end up regretting it and looking bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and by the way, it's totally my fault for going on at the mouth on all of these questions. So I am the one who's eating into all of our time. Uh, these are fantastic questions, and I'm so excited to be able to talk about them. I am a recovering perfectionist. I am a type A, ambitious, overachiever, and so much of my young adult and adult life have been spent juggling too many balls and worrying about what was going to happen when I inevitably dropped one of them. And the best advice that I can give anyone, whether they're just starting their adult life or whether they are halfway through it like I am, is to stop over committing. Because when you overcommit, you are much more likely to under deliver. And the thing about adults 
And the subtitle of the book is How to Be an Adult and Get Treated Like One. Adults, total fucking grown-ups, do what they said they were going to do when they said they were going to do it. They are dependable and they are reliable, and that is how they get treated like adults. People don't need to look over their shoulder and constantly poke and prod them and ask them when that thing's going to be done because they trust them to get it done because history tells us that this person does what they said they were going to do when they said they were going to do it. The trick and the great part about not overcommitting is that if you do undercommit, there's always the possibility that you might overdeliver. And that's really exciting. <laughs> and that'll get you a lot more of that freedom and autonomy and trust and respect that I talk about in the book from other people. So I, you know, I have three tips. One is don't overcommit. The second one is set expectations, tell people exactly what they can expect to get from you and when. And the third is manage those expectations. When stuff does start to go sideways, acknowledge that. Don't go into your hidey hole and pretend like you haven't been thrown off course or pretend like you didn't get this flu and you're not going to get the project in on time or that you accidentally double or triple booked some social plans and you have to disappoint somebody. Manage those expectations. Put that out into the world. Be honest. Tell whoever needs to know that you are now not going to be able to do the thing you said you were going to do when you said you were going to do it. And here is your revised schedule. Because, you know, the, the only person that I dislike more than somebody who disappoints me is somebody who could have given me a heads up and didn't. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to move to some, because there's some great questions. And then if, if um, we go through them, I'll come back to some more of my own. And then keen to sort of ask you some of these. Uh, Retson asks, how did you create You Do You? So You Do You, the only book of mine that does not have a curse word in the title, <laughs> uh, was really the book. It's it's kind of my favorite. It's got a favorite place in my heart. And it was a book that I really needed to read when I was 12 years old. Uh, and it's all about how to just be unapologetically who you are and get what you want you know, with what you have and not try to sort of conform to society's idea of who you should be or who you should want to be or what you ought to want out of your life, but that it's okay. You know, I'm kind of a negative, negative Nelly. You know, I have this, I'm, I'm a pessimist and I write and you do you about why that's okay and why it has worked for me. I write about, you know, the fact that you should be out there building up your ego and being proud of yourself and not listening to people who say, oh, you're tooting your own horn a little bit. Aren't you there? It's like, who else is going to toot it? You know, <laughs> like this, this is my responsibility. And basically tried to address, you know, all of these social contracts that we that we walk into, you know, the shoulds and and the musts and the do's and don'ts and turn them on their head and say, you can have a really happy and really successful life, ignoring all of that noise and just being who you are and developing confidence and self-esteem. And like I said, it's something that I wish I had had when I was a, a young person and I had a lot of fun writing it. It was very cathartic. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's you do you in a nutshell. Mm. I'm really interested in Stella's um, observation. Uh, agreed on the pushover and balance points. My general observation is that politeness and appropriate decorum are interpreted as weakness and encourage others to behave quite poorly and leads to spending a ridiculous amount of time defending boundaries. Is some of this learning how not to take bad behavior personally and accepting we can only control our own response? I am an evangelist for the fact that you have to stop giving a fuck about what other people think because you can't control what they think. This is so true. You can be as polite and honest and respectful and hardworking 
as, as you know, you want to be, and somebody might still not like you because they don't like your laugh or they don't like you because the first time they met you, they were in a bad mood and that's carried over. Or they don't like you because you have things that they wish they had and they're kind of jealous and you can't control any of that. You can only control your behavior. So you do really need to stop worrying about what other people think of your behavior as long as you are acting and behaving in a mature, adult, responsible manner. You know, I do not advocate going out there and turning into a sociopath or an asshole. Like I am all about being being a good person who can be proud of the way that they walk through the world and the way they do their job and the way they, you know, show up in their personal relationships, but just not being consumed about what other people think because you just, you can't control it. And I think that's just a really, it's something that I think we all start to learn a little bit more instinctively as we age, because, you know, the the fewer years we have left on the planet, the less time we have to worry about stupid shit. Um, I'm just trying to make sure that people understand a little bit earlier than I did, you know, give them an extra five or 10 or 15 years of this knowledge uh, to go out there and use it to their own advantage. And I think there's a song lyric that says, you mistake my kindness for weakness. And I, it's really important to me to distinguish between the idea of being polite and, and being kind has nothing to do with being weak or being a pushover or a doormat. And if somebody does push back at you that often, you are free to tell them that I said that their inability to take no for an answer says a lot more about them than it does about you. Um, do you think that uh, in the sort of modern digital world, adults have you know become less adult we need this advice more because in a way we have to do less and less for ourselves think less and less for ourselves with social media with digital the digital world everything is so so much easier easier and easier each day and I wonder if you know we need to take these kind of bits of advice it's interesting you go back to the bible some of these kind of core bits of advice get lost in that world you know, I kind of think it's a little bit the opposite in the sense right. that the world is so complicated and chaotic and overwhelming. The more, you know, even though we've got some ease of use with the technology, technological advances that you mentioned, we also have just become so interconnected and so 24-7. And there's so many, um, not only more sort of widespread global problems between climate change and pandemics and, and political unrest, but we know about it now because we have access to that news and, and the, the breaking news and the tweets and everything. So I think today's young people are actually in a position where they're wading through layers and layers more serious chaos and potential overwhelm than I felt like I was when I was 20 or 25 years old. And what I talk about uh, in, in one of the sections in the book on being resourceful is that we are going to need, currently we need all hands on deck um, to, to solve a lot of those problems that I just mentioned and many more. And so it would behoove all of us, whether we're 20 years old or 60 years old or 80 years old, to learn adult skills like being resourceful, like, you know, solving problems and taking initiative and standing up and finding solutions, because there are solutions to some pretty major existential crises that we are going to need all hands on deck to come up with, let alone the solutions to your kind of everyday life where you might be feeling overwhelmed and overstimulated by that kind of technological just onslaught that you were talking about. So in some ways, I do think that certain things have been made 
easier or simpler or just frankly different than they were, you know, when I was 10 years old. But a lot of what's facing adults these days is is harder and more complex and and it would it's good for everybody to be the adult that we want to see in the world and work together to try to solve these problems by being more resourceful, more self-sufficient, taking initiative and all of that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we're sort of bombarded with is is um health advice and you know you take your very sensible sort of no rubbish approach to that and I was really interested in your advice about that because you do write about the importance of taking responsibility for your health and that makes one an adult and I'm sure many of us have had our moments where we've learned about that I certainly have um very recently about the importance of just you know growing up and as you say kind of not ignoring things, making sure you have a doctor if you possibly can. But I, I I, just, you know, there's lots of great advice. People can read that in the book. But I wondered if you could talk about your advice. I suppose it really applies to, you know, the bombardment of information about diets. And you say, you know, find your happy medium. That's what you've decided to do. And I, I'm, I think it's such good advice. Well, thank you. You know, I spent my teens and up through my late 20s suffering from disordered eating and a lot of sort of related uh, issues. And it's taken me a really long time to become a person who can identify what my body and brain are telling me about what makes me feel good, Uh, you know, what makes me feel healthy, what I'm capable of of achieving, you know, and not feeling like I am failing as, uh, you know, in, in the sense of my, my lifestyle and my personal wellness because of everything that I'm seeing on Instagram about people who are doing it bigger and better and harder and faster than I am. And so what I would say to anybody looking at it, you know, from, from my perspective as a 44 year old person is find what feels good for you. You know, some people, they're great at intermittent fasting. They, they, that's the way that they're going to keep themselves at the size they want to be, you know, and, and it's important to them and they're happy to do it. I cannot function not eating for 12 hours. That's not, that's not good for me. And so there are just different ways to kind of incorporate healthy decisions into your life. And I never want to be the guru, the anti-guru, the anti-guru, anybody out there who is telling you what you should be doing to be a healthy person. I hate that word should, and I really hate it when it is when it is directly involved with what I should be eating, not eating, weighing, not weighing, you know, exercising, not exercising. I hate that. It's about how you feel your best. And when you're an adult, you do have to take responsibility for maintenance. You know, you got to maintain your body unless you want it to fall apart on you when you're 50. I have learned in the last 10 years that a lot of things start to fall apart that you weren't concerned about when you were 20 years old. Not only were you not concerned about them, but your mom was making your doctor's appointments two years before that. So it it really behooves you to take those responsibilities, to get your eyes checked, get your reproductive organs checked, you know, make sure that you're staying on top of that kind of thing, but also just on a day-to-day health basis, do what feels good to you and ignore the noise and don't compare yourself but certainly don't compare yourself unfavorably to, you know, wellness influencers that you're seeing online because that's their deal. That's not your deal. And just really quickly, I want to say, I also focus in the book on mental health. I'm a huge advocate for mental health awareness. I think it's really important to talk about. 
I've suffered from anxiety disorder and panic disorder and depression for many years. I have all kinds of tools and strategies that I have found that have worked for me, but some of them won't work for you. And some of them didn't work for me, but will work for other people. And what I really want to get across to, again, anybody at any age, at any point in their adult journey, is that your mental health and maintaining it is just as important as maintaining your physical health. And we don't all get told that from a young age. And so if I'm the one who can say to you, there's no shame in that game, make sure that you are taking care of your big, beautiful brain as well as you possibly can, and don't be afraid to ask for help, then I'm doing my job. Intermittent question, will there be a book tour in the US? Uh, There are currently no plans for a book tour in the US. Uh, There's just been a little bit of difficulty in terms of ongoing kind of COVID stuff and and whatnot, but uh, I will be doing some virtual events and doing a couple of live things, but more for more for like speaking engagements for companies and things. So if you have a company who wants to invite me to speak, please go to sarahnight.com and contact my speaking agent and they would be delighted to hear from you. I'm going to get back to another one of my questions, which um, it relates to money. And um, again, you, you know, you, you're very careful not to do shoulds and to sort of order people in one way or another. But you do say that in terms of um, dealing with money, like an adult should, it relies on the same set of skills and qualities that generally uh, we need for dealing with grown-up life altogether. And I wonder if you could just um, pass on some of your wisdom about money, which relates to essentially critical thinking, as we've discussed, prioritizing and resourcefulness. Yes, this is how I very cleverly got around having to give actual financial advice in the book, <laughs> because it turns out that the building blocks are all there, no matter how much raw material you may have to work with. And, you know, a budget is a budget. It might be a small budget and it might be a big budget, but the the concept behind planning it out and sticking to it is the same. And that comes with critical thinking. It comes with prioritizing, with saying, what do I want more? Or in some cases, what do I need more? And, you know, I am very fortunate and privileged at this point in my life where I have more gas in the tank, you know, when it comes to figuring out what I can and can't spend on. But when I was 22 years old and had just moved to New York and had three roommates and, you know, never had enough money to pay the bills at the end of the month, it was a matter of prioritizing. Is this something that I really want? Do I want it more than this other thing? Is this something I really need? And do I need it more than this other thing? And then I talk about resourcefulness in the sense that, you know, if you are on a very strict budget, if you're somebody who is always trying to figure out ways to make ends meet at the end of the month, being resourceful about looking for, you know, sale weekends, being resourceful about clipping coupons, being resourceful about if you want to get your hair and makeup done for a wedding, Lord knows we're all going to a million weddings in our 20s and none of us can afford it. If you want to be able to do that, then maybe you could go get a student hairdresser to do your hair or somebody who's studying to be a makeup artist, you know, and maybe they'll be a little bit less expensive. So this idea of being resourceful in ways of figuring out how to make your budget stretch farther, and then also being resourceful, figuring out how to make your time and energy stretch farther. Sometimes maybe you need to develop a side hustle. I also did that in my 20s. And I wish that we didn't have to talk about this. You know, I wish that I didn't have to be out here giving advice to people about trying to work overtime and and scrimp and save, but that's the world we live in. So rather than be somebody, a self-help, you know, expert who's trying to talk to you about money as though I have any idea what interest rates are, I'm just trying to talk to you again about those building blocks of adulthood and self-awareness and responsibility and accountability that can lead you to a healthier relationship to your finances, whatever those finances may be. 
Oh, I was just about to ask your advice on interest rates, but I, I, I won't. You're saved by Dom, who asks, um, how do you deal with being surrounded by people who are not grown up? Well, I've learned to tune them out. Uh, I am, I actually am, uh, I am a person who, as I mentioned earlier, does not have children of my own. That's by choice. And uh, frankly, I don't like children. And so I tune out the big fucking babies in my life the same way that I tune out most of the children that I encounter on a regular basis. Except for my nephew, who is preternaturally intelligent, uh, very quiet and polite, also quite cute, and is definitely going to help me sell books once I can get him on Instagram with the book in hand, which is dedicated to him. But uh, but no, I just really, I have found that the best way to deal with a big fucking baby is to ignore them, to not give them any oxygen, to not give them any space, to just not reward the bad behavior and, you know, move on. Can we finish by, I mean, I just love to ask, You've mentioned some of the things you said, the ABC, but if you just wanted someone to take away, you know, what's the most important for you um, as the author that people take away from this book, take into their lives and, and act on? Well, I do think that strategically the ABCs are very important. You know, your actions and behavior have consequences. Think it through create the best outcome for yourself or avoid the worst outcome. But what I want people to know about the book going into it is that this is supposed to be fun. This is about making adulting easier and more pleasant for you. It's about that R&R. It's rewarding. There's a lot of relief involved when you can dispatch with these annoying or difficult adult tasks with aplomb. Uh, And this book, you know, in as much as my one of my other books called Get Your Shit Together can come across as an admonition, you know, grow the fuck up. Really, it's a rallying cry. It's be an adult and get treated like one. We're all in this together and we'd all rather be surrounded by total fucking grownups on a daily basis. So let's all do our part to be the total fucking grownups we want to see in the world. So the book is fun. That's what I want people to know. It's fun and useful. I think it's interesting, and um, just to go back to Dom's question about being surrounded by people, people who are not grown up. And I suppose the extension of that is, if someone reads this book, we listen to you talk, what's your advice about taking the message out into the world subtly, you know, because your your whole point is not sort of being forceful or, you know, t- trying to say to people they should do this and they must do this. So I wonder your advice about people who've read your book, listen to your rallying cry. How, how do they share the word? Obviously, they tell people to buy the book. <laughs> But, you know, aside from that, how do you manifest that kind of being a grown up and and sort of, but yes, send that cry out? I think it's exactly the way those of us who are lucky enough to have the kind of parents I had or the aunts that I had growing up, you model the good behavior. If you're out there not only modeling good behavior, it will shame some people into behaving better themselves, but you're also going to benefit from it. You're going to be a walking beacon of getting treated like an adult. And this is something that I have heard from my own friends in the last seven years since I've been writing all of the No Fucks Given Guides. They have had more interest in the way I seem to be living a calmer, more fun, sort of more devil may care existence than they ever were about my previous career as a book editor. They've seen the way it has these these strategies and tips that I'm going on and on about in all the books have made me 
the more happier, well-adjusted person, more good stuff going on in my life. They see that I'm well-liked and respected and it makes them go, you know, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. Maybe I should be taking that advice or, you know, taking a little something out of Sarah's playbook. And so I think the same is true for Grow the Fuck Up. If you're out there acting like an adult, getting treated like an adult, it's aspirational for the people around you. And I do think there are some big fucking babies who just can't be saved because they just don't care and they don't want it. But those theoretical adults that they're almost at the very top of that evolution of a total fucking grown up, those are the ones that I think can benefit most from watching you go out and behave like an adult and the light bulb goes on and they're like, you know, if I just do what she's doing and then I could have what she has and get treated the way she's treated, that's a little extra motivation. So I would say above all, Go out there and model the good behavior. And uh, and I think that will inspire people. You know, it's like it's like a street team full of total fucking grownups just out in the world preaching the gospel. I love it. Yeah, I think you should get T-shirts designed. You know, we could just get, go out there wearing them and be, be part of the brigade. Um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very, very much for the, for the guide, for the book, um, and for the last hour of conversation. And thank you very much, everyone, um, for signing in and, and for joining us. Yes, I appreciate all of the questions. It's a wonderful conversation. I hope we get to do it again sometime. Thank you very much. Thank you. This episode of the How To Academy podcast starred Sarah Knight and was presented by Hannah McInnes. The producer was Luke Naylor Perrett, and our editor is John Doughty. The show is made by Esme Bright and myself, and we have help from Nicole Wong. If you enjoyed the episode, why not pick up a copy of Sarah's book from your local independent bookstore, and write us a nice review on your favourite podcasting platform. Till next time, I'm Vas Christodoulou. Thanks for listening.